Hello and welcome to For the Love of Truth. This is episode 226 and is another in the Back to Health series. Today I'm speaking to Sid, or Psycho Sid, as he goes by the name on his book. Sid has a very interesting story to tell. About a decade ago, he was diagnosed with stage 4 inoperable throat cancer and given just six months to live. He was offered chemotherapy and radiotherapy in an attempt to extend his life, and these treatments invariably made him incredibly sick and even more frail than he was before. During the course of these treatments, his wife announced that she was leaving him and left him to look after two young children, as well as try and work out how he was going to keep himself alive to look after them. Now, I'm not going to say too much more about the story. I'm going to leave that to Sid to tell. Uh, Sid is living in the Far East now, and the last time we tried to hook up and speak, the connection died. This time we did have some problems, and the line was a little crackly. But regardless of that, Sid tells an amazing story, and is a real story of what is possible when you focus and when you have little choice. And if you'd like to read a copy of Sid's book, you can find an affiliate link in the description and the first comment of this video or in the podcast notes. And if you have a health story that you'd like to share with me, then I'd like to talk to you about that. The very best way to reach me is to go to fortheloveoftruth.co.uk and go to the Contact Us page. And there'll be a link in the description of this podcast to allow you to do that. And you guys are amazing. And I look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Take care. Bye-bye. So, hey, buddy. Thanks so much for joining me on the show. How are you? I'm all right. Thanks, Adrian. Uh, yeah. Lovely to see you again. And I'm happy to be here. Likewise, likewise. You, you have quite an amazing story to tell, my mate. And I wonder whether you could do us the honor of taking us on a little journey from what life was like living where you were living in paradise to what happened, and then kind of just take us through that, if that's all right. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes fact is uh, stranger than fiction. So what do you want, my early life? or? Well, I, I think really, I mean, you grew up in a council estate, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, Manchester. Yeah, loving family, council estate. Uh I became a Manchester City supporter because my dad took me there. Uh-huh. I stopped eating meat in a meat-eating family when I was five years old. I just refused to eat it. And luckily in those uh, uh, days, I was allowed to continue just eating fruit and veg. So it's quite unusual. I was the only kid at school not to have meat in his school dinner, much to the <laughs> dinner ladies' uh, eye-rolling and... Uh, you're not going to go up to be a big, strong lad, are you? If you don't get your meat, you won't have any pudding and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, I grew up there and had a number of jobs, uh, interesting jobs. I managed a transport company. I used to work in criminal law. So I met rapists, murderers, burglars and visited prisons. Wow. And suddenly saw the folly of working when I should be living the dream. So in 1988, I thought enough of uh, working, working in an office or, or wherever just to save up enough money to uh, have a few beers at the weekend or a couple of weeks holiday in the summer. Yeah. I got me back and off a left. So that's really, and uh, I've never really wanted to work in that kind of environment again. I just like being free. Okay, so where did you go? Uh I went to Singapore, so I'd never been to the tropics before, and I ended up in Singapore. And the first thing I noticed was how it's hot and humid. And (laughs) uh, 
Especially compared to Manchester. <laughs> yeah, a bit different to Manchester, for sure. Uh, I remember going in an Indian restaurant and they didn't have any plates and they just fed us the curry and rice on a banana leaf. And I thought that was amazing. Yeah. You know, wow, you know, and temples and the traffic and the, the, the different spices and smells of the Orient. I moved on through Malaysia and I'd given up beer uh, mm. and everything. I was being a bit spiritual, meditating and trying to sort of like uh, journey to the east to find my true self. And yeah. uh, I ended up getting drunk on Tiger Beer once and, uh, and woke up the following morning never again. And, uh, <laughs> but it was a good trip. And yeah. I hear so- something that was surprising because, it, I mean, that was 1988. After a, a long train journey, uh, I was going to uh, Penang in Malaysia, Georgetown. After a long train journey, I was absolutely knackered and frazzled. And as I'm walking to find like a backpacker guest house, I saw a massage. Hmm. Now, I pictured it as a massage. And I thought, well, that'll, be, that'll be great. I could do with that. I treat myself. And I went in this room. Yeah. And I went in there. And a bloody girl, we just, we got in underwear, comes out and starts massaging me. I'm like, my goodness, what's going on here, man? And <laughs> anyway, what happened in that little tale's in the book, so you'll have to find, find the book. Oh, that's but, right. You've written a book, haven't you, Sid? Yeah, uh, The Death and Life of Psycho Sid, Part 1, Foxtrot Uniform, Charlie Kilo. And... <laughs> <laughs> what else? What else do you say? We say, eh? Um, that, that's a, a, all my chapters and book titles are named after songs. Yeah. And that's a song by a band called the Bloodhound Gang, an American band. Yeah. And it's just what you say when, when what happened to me. Yeah. And anyway, the book's out and it's doing rather well. Okay. Well, we'll we'll come back to that. So you, you've you've gone to the Orient. Um, I presume you settled down there at some point rather than just travelled around, didn't you? Yeah, I travelled around uh, in Thailand, tropical islands, went back to Manchester, and I thought, what am I doing back here? It's cold and grey and raining, so I got me uh, God-given arse back out to the uh, back out to the Far East and started teaching English, proper English, like a Mancunian accent, and uh, seemed to do rather well and became a popular teacher. Yeah. And then I got offered a job in a sugar factory in the northeast. So I enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the meantime, I had, I had a child with a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Uh, we split up. Um, my child stayed with me. Then I met another woman. And we got married and uh, eventually had two kids. How lovely. Yeah, so it's all right. And most of my time over in the Far East was exploring mountains, forests islands jungles that mm-hmm. always had this adventure in me and, mm-hmm. and so it was out whenever i had a free moment i'd be off in a national park to try mm-hmm. and find uh, a remote waterfall or something yeah. like that okay that sounds interesting so i, I mean I, I presume then did you get some kind of work do you get a nice job did you have a house what were you doing uh yeah i got in, in the sugar factory i got a job I got a free house, free car. I only had to work three hours a day, and it, and, and everything was free, so it's quite good. Mm. And that's where I learned the language, the Thai language, because mm. nobody spoke 
nobody spoke English. So I'm like, I'm going to the market, banana, banana. I go, fly, fly. Oh, fly. And so I picked it up quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, after I got married to the Thai lady, we went to England mm-hmm. and uh, started a tour company. That would have been 1997. Mm-hmm. Um, we met Thais at the airport mm-hmm. and, and took them to places like Chester, London, Conway. Mm-hmm. and did little tours, but that only lasted a short while mm-hmm. because the economic collapse happened in 97 and no one had any money. Mm-hmm. So I became a taxi driver. And I love that as well, but was missing the tropics. Yeah. And one day in the back of my taxi, an elderly couple heard my story and said, we offer you a job teaching in a primary school mm-hmm. in China, Shenzhen. Mm-hmm. So I said, I'm up for it. Uh, I went and told them, Mrs. we're off to China. I said, no, we're not. I said, yes, we are. And uh, we went. I opened a company, Global Student Network, and recruited students for boarding schools in the UK. did quite well. Hmm. Uh, and opened my own language centre and did all right. Hmm. The uh, marriage lasted about eight years. So when it got to the year 2000, hmm. he left with my daughter, who was one at the time, Francesca, so my daughter was born in China. Mm-hmm. And Eugene, who was almost three, stayed with me. Mm-hmm. So she's gone, and that was quite heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. But I knew it was better that the relationship finished, but I missed my daughter, of course. Mm-hmm. So what I did then, I thought, I'm not, I'm not working, teaching English, I've made some money from uh, uh, my school and everything. Mm-hmm. So I spent a year traveling around wild parts of China with my two and then three-year-old son and Laos, really wow. obscure places. And that is like one hell of an adventure yeah. into minority tribes, no electricity mm-hmm. uh, or anything. And a shower was, we'd get in the river and shower. It was mm. brilliant. And uh, so that was quite fun. I've got all that on film as well. Mm. That's a future book. Careful with that backpack, Eugene, which is a play on the Pink Floyd song. Careful with that axe, Eugene. Yeah, a future one when I get time. Good. Uh, so we came back to England and managed to stay there a year, and off we went again. And we ended up in Laos. Okay. Uh, ended up teaching English. And. Um, Eugene went to a little uh, international primary school mm-hmm. and everything was okay. Yeah. We got a big truck going past in the background. And uh, I met a fella. One of those things that changes your life. Yeah. I spent most of my time in the gym and swimming and I'd have a few beers with my friends and play pool in the, in, in the evenings. Yeah. One night I was drunk and I'm driving on my motorcycle back home. Mm-hmm. No problem there if you get stopped by the police at the £2 fine and then carry on. You were drunk, <laughs> so, you know, not like England. And then it was this seedy nightclub called the Chess Cafe. Yeah. And it was opposite the hospital. I thought, I'll have one last drink before I go home. And I went <laughs> in and I got a bottle of beer now. And I saw this very good looking girl at the bar. And I thought, oh, yeah. So, and I was that drunk and you said, oh, yeah, my name's Sid. And well, here's my phone number, give us a ring sometime. And then staggered out, 
and went home and woke up with an hangover. <laughs> the next day she phoned, and I remember Manchester City were playing Newcastle. I was watching it. Yeah. So being a proper Mancunian, I invited her to the pub yeah. to come and watch the football. Yeah. The problem was, I couldn't remember what she looked like because I had the beer goggles on the night before. Bloody hell. Anyway, this tasty woman comes up, hello, sick, and we watched the football, my team won. Yeah. We had a good time, but it, we never became lovers, just platonic. Yeah. She'd occasionally meet for lunch. Yeah. One lunchtime, this very, very attractive girl came along with her who was smiling and flirting with me. Yeah. But she was a lot younger than me, and I didn't want to end up as one of these sad expats with a, a girlfriend half his age. That wasn't what I was looking for. Yeah. And she was flirting. I said, you're very pretty, but you're not the one for me. You're far too young. But she came to my house one time, and me being a bit of a Mancunian devil, well, I had to do what came naturally after a few beers. And <laughs> from that moment in time, before I knew it, uh, we were love. She moved in, and we were lo- We became lovers, and she was a beautiful relationship. I didn't bother about her age after that. She could have been twice my age. When yeah. I fall in love, I fall head over the heels, yeah. and wear me on me psychedelic shirt sleeve. Yeah. And so, I got a great job with a sugar company. Uh, not a sugar company, hydropower company. Uh-huh. It's top money. Well, you know. We're out there, probably about five grand, five grand a month after tax, wow. the house and stuff. And uh, you know, when you think everything was uh, so cheap in, <laughs> in Laos, mm-hmm. so we'd have holidays in Hong Kong and Ireland. And we got married. We had a uh, Joe, and uh, I was like January 2011. I was like, I found what I'm looking for. I bought a house. Mm-hmm. An SUV for adventures, the perfect place and the perfect partner. I loved the NTN, it was so, so uh, mm-hmm. laid back with temples and avenues mm. and the Mekong River. This was mm-hmm. it. I was so certain it had achieved what I was looking for. And But I failed to read the writings on the monastery wall, okay. which warns. Nothing gives permanent. Everything is transitory. Everything changes. And sure enough, it did change. Mm-hmm. Within the blink of an eye, I'm out of tropical paradise and I'm in Blackpool, freezing my knackers off. I am on the wind and the rain. Worse than that, they've diagnosed me with stage four inoperable cancer. Whoa. And then, I'm, yes, that's it. And it's got DS. 1500 form the clinical nurse gave me, which which screamed terminal illness, maximum life expectancy six months. Well, bloody hell, I am in the brown and nasty. And uh, but what am I going to do? I looked at my wife and kids, and I was more concerned about them. Hmm. I wasn't afraid of dying. Hmm. I was afraid that I'd miss them. I really loved my wife and, of course, my kids. Hmm. And I was devoted. And it was terrifying. I silently screamed and walked out. Wait, what, um, what year was this again? This would have been 2012, April 2012. Oh, okay. So right. I've been told I've got a maximum of six months to live. I said to the clinical nurse, this means I'm going to die. 
He said, well, it's very aggressive, very large. It's in my face. We can't get it out. I'm very sorry. I said, well, what's this for? He said, if you give it to the benefit or anywhere else, you'll always have preferential treatment. If you need any money, mm-hmm. you won't be interviewed or anything. You'll be looked after. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I wasn't sure what to do. And uh, so I went to see the uh, oncologist. Mm-hmm. He said, all we can do to save you, to ex- not save you, to extend your life, try and extend your survival time. Mm is to give you three sessions of chemotherapy. Hmm. That's not a clue. I haven't a Scooby-Doo what, what about any other <laughs> possibility. Hmm. I said, okay, let's go for it. And, you know, and then he picks. So I went there and, and they were going to put a pump on me as well, like continue pumping the chemotherapy drugs into me hmm. for the next, I think it was the next seven days or I from recollection. So I went there. I went to the, uh, it was in Preston. And I went in the chemotherapy lounge and sat with my chemical brothers and sisters there. And three different drugs went in. And uh, it's quite boring. Yeah, it's just that. The only thing that was a nuisance is I wanted to go and have a quick pee. I'd have to take this train with me. I was pumping it in. And I went home and that was it. I thought, well, that's now, is it? And I woke up the next day and it was total madness. It was an insane nightmare. The feeling, the sensations, that wasn't confusion. At times I thought, at times I thought I was sleeping under the pier in, uh, on Blackpool Beach and <laughs> my body was trying to reject everything that's coming out, coughing it all out. Obviously, my body's saying, I'm not having this shit in me. I'm spitting yeah. green vomit day and night, coughing, and it's a nightmare. I had to wait for five days. I had had a, a nurse come every day mm-hmm. and visit me at home and have loads of injections and five days for them to take the uh, the pump, still pumping it in. Jesus. Uh, and she took it off. I went, thank goodness for that. She said, sorry, it gets a lot worse now. And my goodness. Yeah, I thought, what, what? She said, it's still in here. It'll get worse. And the next day, it was worse, I collapsed. Um, and I got my wife to... Uh, I thought this stuff was to extend your life. Really? I thought this was to extend your life. We'll be back after a quick break. Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. Well, that's what I thought. I thought, well, and I'll come to that in a minute. So, from suddenly I wasn't well, but suddenly I was, I was in a wheelchair. My wife had to push, get a taxi, push me in a wheelchair. I looked I look like bloody, uh, yeah, get warmed up there. And the oncologist took one look straight in, and I was in uh, an isolation ward for seven days. And the nurse tried to say, get your eggs and eat. And I said, I don't want to eat. I'll have a bit of 
vegetarian, vegan soup. Um, we had loads of different uh, potions that I had to drink. <laughs> I can't remember what they were. Oh, it might come to me, but what there was a pink one that really was very painful to drink. I can't remember. It might come to me while I'm speaking. Anyway, I'm getting them down. And everything's a blur. Uh, brother brought my wife. She'd visit me. And everything was... And after seven days, I suddenly started to feel better and they let me go home. Mm-hmm. So I said, I was a bit worried and concerned. And this, the oncologist said, have a second. We'll give you a second one with different drugs mm-hmm. and a, a lower dosage. He mm-hmm. did that. Same thing happened. I'm in A&E. I'm spewing up alien green vomit, uh, bright day glow, emerald, hmm. shite. Coming out of my sphincter, and I'm like, my brother's there, he's dying, and they're banging me on it, pumping me full of injections. And I was in there for another, another eight or nine days in, in the blur. They cut hmm. a hole in my stomach to give me a peg tube. I said, Why are you doing this? Said, you won't be able to eat soon. Eat soon, you'll need just to stay alive to feed yourself when you cut a hole. And I felt like, oh, they said, We used to do this under general anesthetic, but now. Last week, we're not doing that anymore. We're just giving it and spray, spray something down. I could feel it. But I had two guys, camera down there and a knife and, and twisting it on the inside. It wasn't nice. And anyway, I'm back out of there. Eventually sent home. The oncologist said, can't give you any more mm-hmm. because it'll kill you. Your body is rejecting it. Mm-hmm. I went, oh. So what are you going to do next? What's going to happen now? Said, all we can do is give you radiotherapy. We can burn it. We're going to say, so now they move from poisoning to burning you to make you better. Yeah, so I'm, I'm we'll give you a small dosage of uh, a chemotherapy, which boosts it incredibly. And, I'm saying, and he said, but I must warn you, A, it's got hardly any chance of being successful, maybe a one in five chance of making any difference yeah. to extend your life. It'll be the most painful nightmare you've ever been through. And it'll have lifelong effects for as long as you after after the treatment, as long as you survive, you'll you'll just you'll it, it will have lifelong effects. I'll affect. I'm not liking the sound of this, you know. I said, well, I'm not going for that, mate. You know, I mean, there's a little bit of it to live, a bit of time to live. Yeah. I don't want to be bloody burned. I'm already gone through a nightmare with a poison. I don't want to be in bloody agony. Yeah. So I said, but rather than burning me bridge. I just said, well, give us a couple of weeks to think about it. Is it something quite serious? All right away. Determined not to do it. Yeah. Uh, when we're saying it's up to you, a lot of people at the local cancer group uh, were saying, go for it, go for it. It's your last chance. You'll be dead otherwise. And I thought, I'm not sure. And uh, at the last minute, I decided to go for it. I looked at my kids and wife, decided to go for it. I didn't have any other knowledge. The only knowledge that most mm-hmm. of us have, I've got to be given out by the medical medical media. That's mm-hmm. it, you know, this is what you see. You get cancer, you do chemo, you have surgery, chemo, radiotherapy, and then, mm-hmm. you know, if all is well, you'll get better. So I went mm-hmm. for that, and that was the most pain. At first, it wasn't painful, but it was very claustrophobic, a mask on, and the machine zapping round and burning, and uh, once a week, blood test, and you could hardly get the blood out, because 
the chemotherapy attack had all my veins, so that was a struggle. Took up, took my bloody teeth out because they'd been destroyed by by the chemo, uh, by the radiotherapy burning around here. So I lost all my teeth because of that. Uh, after I had six weeks of that, from week number four and a half, that was it, the agony. And I'm telling you, it's like drinking too much. Uh, scolding water 20, 24-7. It was intense. I was burnt and red and blistered on the outside. The inside was worse. Jesus. And I had morphine. As much as I could have, I had bags of morphine, tramadol and all sorts. And it still just tickled the pain. So I was in a bad way. Really, oh. And I'd lost. I was like a skeleton. And uh, eventually it was over. And I went through months. Uh, it started to ease off, but I went through about four months of agony, and it started to ease off. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, what happened next? Uh, so I'm, I'm fighting away, and I'm starting to. I've decided what I'm going to do is cut out every single bit of process. I started reading then about. Uh, Natural, natural methods. I'm going to cut out every bit of processed food. Nothing out of a tin. Nothing out of a packet. I'd always been vegetarian since the age of five, but I was a young vegetarian before I got the cancer. Four cheese pizzas, uh, four pints of beer, diet coats, bags of crisps, Mars bars, and all that rubbish. Uh, chip butties, and so I cut it all out. I religiously stuck to this, just organic food. Loads of juices, beetroot juice, carrot juice, grapes, and I just stuck at it. And I had lots of other minerals and substances uh, that I took as well, milk, thistle, and all kinds of stuff. I had a big, my ammunition was in a big packet. Every day I'd be taking all these different substances, uh, vitamins, multivitamins, all sorts of stuff. And I kept fighting. And... uh, in uh, right about a year, and I was still alive a year and a half later. And, uh, you know, and about every month I'd have to go and have a, an endoscopy. And I never got the all clear and say, well, you're doing okay. Put some weight on. It get, get a stake down, you know, and all the usual things. And then my mum died. Then my mum died. I thought, bloody hell. You know, and my mum was... Uh, so... I kept that inside, but I, I, I collapsed. So I was in Lancaster. I took the wife and kids to Lancaster. Mm-hmm. I had, uh, I had all I had, and they had loads of snacks and food. Mm-hmm. And all I had was agamorphine and some liquid. And that was it. And we, we, we had a little holiday in Lancaster in Waterman. And, and I just phoned my brother up to find out. And his wife answered, said, sorry, your mum died. She's in the uh, funeral parlour. No point in the I'm like, what, and I collapsed. And the next day, it was that numb feeling. All of the tumors was I really remember. I, I disguised my pain. I always had done with wife and kids. I tried to put on a happy, go lucky, upbeat kind of guy, not the fears of dying and the pain, hid the pain. And same I did with my mum, but as I'm walking along with them, yeah, memories are coming back when I was a kid and I was sat on her knee and she'd read the stories and yeah. kind of things she did yeah. how she yeah. it. so it's quite painful and that happened and then this my wife who had been loyal to 
I looked, I, 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 I never strayed or anything. Suddenly started turning nasty. And I'm thinking, what's up? What's up? And one day I'm like, I'm, I'm on my sick, I call it my sick sofa, lying on my sick sofa. And she was always on the, on the tablet. And she looked over and she went, and that's when I thought, I'm gone. Now I'm in big shit. My goodness. Uh, and, the, and the cancer's killing me. And my wife's murdering me. So she got nasty. I said, hurry up and die. Quite blatantly. Nicknamed me Ghostface. Because I look like a bloody skeleton uh, with bald face. Told me Ghostface, hurry up and die. And I'm like, what? Why are you doing this? I've never been unfaithful. I've given you everything I've got. Uh, discovered she was having an affair. Uh, she boasted and taunted and mocked. I've got a nice rich boyfriend and said to my son, who was only three or four at the time, got a nice, handsome, healthy husband here in the future. And I'm like, I'm, I'm starting to lose control, yeah. man. Uh, I went to uh, meditation to try and focus on. You know, to kill my mind when I'm gonna die. My wife had an affair. My mum died. It was uh, it wasn't easy. No. So I was in the end to take no more. I knew if it carried on, I'd explode. I had nothing yeah. to lose. I'm gonna die anyway. Yeah. So if I top her and I top the geese and that's giving a while, I'm not blaming yeah. him. If a pretty girl's gonna, he may not even yeah. know. He may not even know she's got yeah. a husband. Or they both might be, or they both might know. I'm waiting like bloody vultures for me to die. I, don't, I yeah. didn't know. In the end, I thought, don't go down that route. So I decided to take her back. I cancelled the visa. She was waiting for a visa. And like a bloody idiot, flew me and my son. My eldest son stayed with some friends, and we flew back to Laos. Now, as this was looking back, this was very bloody dangerous. I was in her country. I was in her territory. Very sick. I mean, you know, and I got my son there. And I thought, no, I, I, I can't last any longer. So what happened? Flew back and got into Laos. So mum and dad had done it all right. And then when they found out what she'd been up to, they sympathised with me and said, sorry, she's so hot-headed. So... She wouldn't be seen with me. She said, you're far too ugly. I'm ashamed to be seen near you. And I did look like a bloody monster. I looked like the elephant man's ugly brother <laughs> after the, the kicking her dad. And I tell you, a bit like uh, Gollum Gurney. I, I didn't look good at all. And I remember I went to the pub to watch. I treated him on my birthday. So that would have been 2013 or well, at 57, I might have been. Manchester City were playing Manchester United in a yeah. derby. And I went to the Song River and uh, to watch the screen in the pub. And I had two mates, uh, a Man United fan, Wobbly Bobbly and a Norwegian guy. And Wobbly Bobbly is Liverpool and a Norwegian guy. And I sat there. And people had come in the pub and they walked right past me. That's how much of the change from. And then they turned around, Seed, is that you? Yeah. I thought you were dead. What's, what's happening? Mm. You know, and and uh, they, they couldn't believe it. Anyway, my team won. I went home. Eventually, it was going, my wife kicked us out of the house. She said, this is my house. And I bought it with all the money I'd worked for. 
Christopher Hitchens, Christopher Hitchens, Get off my land and take him with you. So at the end, pissed off. They came back to the UK and carried on fighting the mm. cancer. Uh, that really, um, I was heartbroken. I was confused, but I had no choice. I had mm. two kids, one 16 and the other six, and I just devoted my time mm. to them. And that would have been up to about, uh, yeah, 2015. Mm-hmm. And it was, I was lonely, I was heartbroken, hmm. and it was boring. That it was like I was just cooking, cleaning schoolrooms after living so free, and I felt like uh, an old man, an old man just living on his memories. Oh, I remember when I was in uh, uh, mountains in China or in the jungles or in an hmm. island, and I, I just carried on. Um, and that's where we get to 2015. So what do you think of it so far? I'm, I'm spellbound and I'm close to tears at some of that. Right. Uh, so the next thing that happened, I wanted mm. to get back to the tropics now. I've had enough of living, living a gloomy existence, uh, getting clothes from uh, charity shops, looking mm. for bargains here, there and everywhere. And uh, so I decided to write a book. Well, uh, actually, in 2006, I, I decided to write a book. That was it. And I started writing a book in 2015. Hmm. And I called it The Death and Life of Psycho Sid, Part 1, Box Rock Uniform. Yeah, crack, it's a cracking, so but for those listening told, to it, you want, to, you want to read the book. It's a cracking read, but we'll get to that later on. Yeah, and uh, uh, anyway, I started writing it and decided to be a bit of a cheeky northern monkey and get uh, pre-orders and they started, they started coming in and in 2016 I was speaking to someone, a girl who pre-ordered, an Italian girl, a vegan and uh, she, we were chatting away and she, she arranged to come and meet me at Blackpool Station and, and I thought great, you know I wasn't thinking anything because I mean the missus when she left said you're too ugly no one will ever love you again. You'll die an ugly old man. And I believed her. So my, my spirit mm. was broken. Anyway, this woman came into a tasty looking woman. Um, 20 years, my junior. I'm doing what I think will last. So I like her being 20 years, my junior. But the way the cancer's altered me now, I'm 70 years. She's 70 years, her junior, because it's bloody age me. Anyway, she comes along. And as soon as we saw each other, that was it. I knew she was going to stay the night. I, I don't know why. And she knew. And uh, we had a wonderful relationship. And it gave me some confidence for about mm. a year. And she was great with, with the kids that, taught, that played with Joe and taught me to cook some better meals for the kids. And that was something that was quite mm. special to have actually someone who said, Sid, I love you. I never thought anyone would say that. And I get messages on Facebook, Sid. You are amazing. I love you. And I never believed that I said mm. that again. The relationship ended in 2.17. And I was okay about that. I knew it was right. It was right. She needed a freedom. I was still a bloody mess. Mm. Ever, you know, front of her. And off she went. But we still remain good friends and mm. still are now. So that was nice. What shall I talk about next? 
Well, you're clearly not in England anymore. Maybe you want to talk a little bit about how you and I first met and then you ended up getting out to the tropics again. All right. Uh, so after a relationship, I carried on writing. Yep. And I thought the book might take me uh, six months to finish. It took me four years. <laughs> it took me four years. Yeah. Oh, and I was just so much of a perfectionist and I liked to twist words. And, and I never knew how it did. I thought it was okay. And eventually I printed. I got an editor to help, so he, like, he did help. Yeah. Um, and then what I did, I printed, I think, 750 copies. Mm -hmm. So I sent some to the people that had already pre-ordered. And the others went more or less immediately, and another set, and the printers had made a small error, moved the words too near. And I said, well, you know, I spent four years doing this, and they made a small error. Mm -hmm. So they sent me another 750. So I managed to get a fifteen, uh, and we went. We more or less went, and suddenly the feedback stuck with something. Best book I've ever read. Ever read. Can't believe it. And I was what me, me. I got thrown out of school. How can my book be the best? And uh, and I've just had that ever since. I did, I went round the UK doing inspirational talks. Mm -hmm. I spoke at places like Anfield, Murrayfield, mm -hmm. Edgbaston. Mm -hmm. I even spoke at our arch enemies, Old Trafford, and I'm a City fan, Manchester United. And when I went to Old Trafford, this would have been 2019, mm -hmm. I went to Old Trafford. And at the beginning, there they all are. <coughs> I've got this Tycho Sid, the death of my from Tycho Sid, Fox Rock Unity. And I, I went there and I said, Blue Moon, you saw me standing alone. Without a dream in my heart, Now they're all United fans. I expected booze, and all I got were cheers. And I'm thinking, hang on, you're Man United, I'm Man City. I'm singing a City song. Why are you cheering? He said, don't let the Scousers win the Premier League. So they hated Liverpool more than City. And it was when Liverpool and City were neck, neck and neck. Yeah. And that went down well. So the book has done, did really well. Yeah. But by the time of paper editing and then the money you get from Amazon, probably 250 a book after they sell it for 13 quid or whatever. Yeah. And uh, then I, I, never, I didn't have enough for the dream to go back. Home to the tropics where I spent to take my son and daughter and my own yeah. son. I didn't have a son, what am I going to do? And the book was still doing okay, so I decided to form a vegan tour company. So yeah. I all, and lots of people were interested. Yeah. And the waiting list, let's go with you, said I showed them which islands we go, what activities, a vegan cookery class, volunteering in an animal, all this, and they loved it. Mm -hmm. But that was suddenly kiboshed. You know why? COVID. Why did that go wrong? COVID, COVID yeah. <laughs> COVID. And I thought, blinky neck. And I'm a bit of a tinfoil hatter. And I thought, what? The money's stopping me because of the bloody flu. What's on about? What's going on about? Yeah. And I'm thinking, I wasn't worried about the COVID. 
to be honest with you. And I'm very sceptical now, but I behave myself. And I don't know. I mean, you think a lot about that as well, don't you? So Yeah, I've done a few videos about it, yeah. Yeah, so but I just keep myself to myself. I'm over on well, we'll get get to that anyway. No. Anyway, feel we stopped it and then we get locked down. And I thought and I'm thinking, how oh, am I gonna I'm never gonna get back now. Yeah. It's gonna be, you know. And then it started to end up in February, in March, April 2020. Yeah, which is right around when you and I started talking, wasn't it? Yeah. And obviously, <clears throat> I thought, well, the way it looks to me is that once the winter comes, November, there's going to be lockdown very, very strict. Because obviously, you get all the winter coming in. And I think this is going to last for a long time. So I need out before, basically before the end of September, to be certain I can escape. Mm -hmm. How can I do that? I haven't got a pot for pissing, really. I mean, the book's not really making any money. Mm -hmm. How am I going to do that? A mate of mine suggested doing a crowdfunder. No, I felt a bit embarrassed. I think I might have mentioned that to you as well, didn't I? You, you did, because we talked about creating a video and a few other things to help you along your way. And I just said, mate, you've got to go for it because I believe in you and I know your story. Yeah. So I went for it. And amazingly, money came in. Now, there was a bit of a hiccup because they went, the borders were closing to Thailand. And that was where I really wanted to go. So I was going to have to go to Mexico. I wanted out. I wanted freedom again. Hmm. What were you? Can you hear that? No. no anyway, the mosque in the background. It's a, a, the, the island where I'm staying is a mixture of uh, yeah. Buddhist and Islam. Right. Uh, so he's giving his call. And so, call to prayer, that's it. Yeah. So, anyway, the embassy, Thai embassy in London country said, oh, you can go because you're, you've got Thai kids there, I've got my eldest daughter, and your son. Mm -hmm has got an approval letter for an international school that my friend runs. Yeah. So I said, I'll sort you out. So we were suddenly going. And then there were so many things we had to do. We had to get mandatory insurance for each of us for covering us to, I think, 100,000 US dollars. Certificate fit to fly. We even had to do a COVID test. I, I wasn't a big fan of having a COVID test, but I thought, well, I'm not, not going to get out any other way. Mm -hmm. So we did, and it made my eyes water. But after what I've been through with all the cancer, it was it was a double. So and my little boy had one; he didn't he didn't like it. And so we eventually got the visas, booked the flight, and off we flew. And I'm mm -hmm. like, now I love me Staffy, so he couldn't fly until a month later. Because he, he had to get on the rabies chat and it, and it had to be a certain time. And we were, we had to do 14 day quarantine. Yep. Um, in a I, I remember watching the videos you made on that. It was a bit of a, for some reason, the quarantine hotel was a bit of a blur. I've got vague memories. And we just locked in. They'd leave the food at the door and it was bland, really, but we got the cheapest place possible. And it was okay, and it was the vegetarian festival time, so we could order out to the local Seven Eleven mini mart, and they'd give us some veggie things as well. The son played Xbox, 
and I just made videos and looked on the internet. And after that, we were out, and I met my daughter, who I'd not seen for ages, yeah. and that was fabulous. Uh, and then waited for waited for Alfie, the staffy to arrive. He arrived at the airport. We were dancing. He, he was obviously made up. Yeah. And that would have been the 1st of October. 16th of October, we were released from the quarantine. Alfie arrived on the, I think it was the 6th of November. Mm -hmm. 7th, we had to get to the island. No planes. We didn't want Alfie on a plane again. No. Difficult to take him on buses and trains. So we had to get a taxi, which was a 12-hour taxi drive to the, to the island with Alfie in. And that was, and all the way it'd be a storm, bright sunshine, a storm, but it was, it was interesting. Yeah. And we eventually got here, uh, moved into a little, like, bungalow on the beach. Yeah. I made this for free. It's only tiny. I think it's normally only about six or seven quid. So the job, right on the beach, we were in the sea and it was hot. Then we found a brilliant house uh, with a big garden, tropical garden, uh, air-conditioned, two bedrooms, yeah. uh, living room fully furnished. Mm -hmm. and I think that's two fifty a month. Wow! Which I mean, I had a two up, two down terrace house in Blackpool for five forty a month. So yeah. it's, this is a massive garden with palm trees. And Alfie was surprised one day. Because he looked up and he saw loads of monkeys on the roof and he didn't know what they were and just went back mad and started barking and off he went. <laughs> That's it. And Joe's in the international school. He loves it. Yeah. Um, I remarkably, it's like I'm like a walking miracle. I shouldn't be here. I'm alive. Yeah. I'm living yeah. the dream. Yeah. And I'm writing book too. Yeah, and you're still you're still mindful about what you eat and everything, I presume. I mean, yes. It Oh, your thoughts, yeah? No, I was going to say, you're still mindful about, you know, you manage your food carefully and what you eat, don't you? Uh, I'm a lot better. I, I'm quite, I'm still having the odd, you know, round of bread and things, obviously. And so I'm, I'm thinking, seriously thinking of going on another detox, maybe a mono fruit detox for a while, just dragon fruit for seven days. I think that's good at clearing me out. Mm -hmm. But I'll be mindful and watch. If I mm. start to get too many healing reactions, I'll yeah. slow it down with some steam bed or something yeah. like that. Yeah, that's a good idea. The, I don't so, think we can get allowed. I don't think we, you're allowed to send herbs to Thailand. I don't think we can get them. Hmm. There's a lot of herbs and things are like, but I'll have to look, speak to some people that know because I did like taking a lot of herbs when I was back in the UK. I yeah. tried ball apps that one in there and someone yeah. sent me. You said oh, that really cleared your head, didn't you? It did, it made a huge difference. So here I am, living the dream. Every Sunday we go on an adventure. We went to uh, the Emerald Cave and got up. Uh, 20 of us clubbed together. We got a speedboat, very cheap now because they're no tourists. And we just went to deserted beaches, jungles, and swam into this cave. And it's amazing because we go up about 80 meters and you come out to a beach. And it's a hidden beach, hidden beach. There's no way in and out except the cave. And you look up and it's like a circle, like a volcano. So I did that. And all these things, it's like, wow. So I'm writing little e-books every yeah. month about, there'll be like three parts. 
Well, yeah, let's just stop there a second because I just want to give everyone an introduction because you now need to start making some money in order to survive and stay there, don't you? Yes. I mean, my old age pension, because I'm a bit of a copying dodger, as it's quite clearly obvious, uh, doesn't start for 18 months. My book's starting to do better, mm-hmm. but, you know, I, 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 I don't really spend any money now. We just like buy some veg and fruit and Mm-hmm. You know, we've had things like beans on toast and things like that, mashed food, but which I should be doing more fruit. And we don't spend a lot now, we're being very careful. But I thought, well, how can I supplement my income? Mm-hmm. I mean, a couple of hundred things a month from loyalties and, and things, mm-hmm. and from a few subscriptions from friends, it's then a tenner yeah. a month. I could obviously teach online. But that would take up all the time from my writing, which people seem to love. Mm-hmm. So I came up with the, the idea of doing uh, e-books. Mm-hmm. And, and e-books will be in two parts. The first part will be a guide. Lonely Planet S. Mm-hmm. Uh, what to see, where to go, what to do, but written in my style. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm there, so I'm giving it here as it is. And mm-hmm. the second part will be my adventure there, getting there, what I saw. And so it's a little, loads of colourful images of book taken. So it'll be a little guide to different places on the island, different beaches or waterfalls and nearby islands that people can see it. Mm-hmm. They can actually find out how to get there, what mm-hmm. to see where, what you can do there, where you can buy food, where to stay, and other different options and bits mm-hmm. of history. And the second part is me. Well, I'm buzzing this morning. Island of Scott Rock. I've dreamed about this island for years, mm. you know, and that kind of thing. Okay. And then there's always a little twist because something went wrong. It always does. <laughs> and each chapter's named, na- each little bit's named after a song, like in the book, because that Psycho Sid was a DJ. Yeah. So that's where the name comes from. Okay. Uh, all right. I was psychedelic Sid originally, as uh, I was a hippie, and then when I was DJing punk and indie. He said he can't be psychedelic and it's almost psycho sick. And that was my DJ name, which has stuck like super glue ever since. Well, that's it, really. Well, I'll tell you what we'll do then. I will put a link to the book in the description and the first comment of this video and on my website as well. I would really recommend that people buy the book and read it. It's an amazing read. And if you would keep me posted as and when you are releasing more of your ebooks, and I'll make sure I can put a link across to that. And maybe we can have another chat about that nearer the time when you're ready to do that as well, if that's all right. Yeah. Uh, probably monthly. I'm looking at doing them monthly. Little okay. ebooks, maybe 40 pages. Uh, and I'm just, I've had to learn a new skill to make an ebook, and I've got it, I've got it now. It looks all right, actually. Good. And I was quite shocked yesterday. My book. Mm-hmm. I have no publisher, no backing, nothing, no no marketer, marketing mm-hmm. or anything. And in oncology nutrition, it got up to number nine in the top ten. Me and all the other books around me are like uh, How Not to Die, uh, what is it, Michael Gregor and things. And like, there's me, my ugly face there, in all these amazing books. <laughs> How the hell did I do that? And it got to the number 10,040 of all books on Amazon. And there's millions on there. So I thought, yeah. yeah, how how did I do that? I'm, oh, then, I'm, 
how are you going to become a writer? No idea. But well, especially since you got turfed out of school, didn't you? Pardon? You got you got kicked out of school, didn't you? Yeah, for having long hair. What happened? And, uh, <laughs> I was a bit of a rebel. I had long hair, and they said cut it, and I said no. So he said, so he expelled me, and as I, and I, as I walked out, opened the school gates, and walked out. And I, um, I felt like I felt like powerful, and the and as I walked along the path towards Nirvana, and I smelt the autumn air, and it smelt like Teen Spirit. Yeah, yeah, I'm not gonna obey, and I've never obeyed ever since. That's why people think I'm a bit of a trackpot when I question everything. I don't follow the mainstream media. Yeah. I'll look at both sides. I'll think right. You're saying this, and you're saying that, and I'm not. I'm not willingly follow. I look into things, and I think mm. there's a lot more to life than just slaving away in some shit job that you don't like. Yeah. I mean, and we're much more. I mean, we're trillions of cells. Our cells are vibrating, and it's like, wow! If you live in the moment, suddenly you can see more. You've yeah. got to look inside. You know all this anyway. Well, I, I was going to say that, you know, one of the questions I've wanted to ask you since I first met you was, given what you've been through in your life, if you could talk to Sid when he was in his 20s, what would you say to him? Early 20s? Yeah. Some some advice from where you are now with the wise head you've got now. Stop being a mere monster. That's no good. Stop staying in a relationship. That's dead already just because you're afraid of being on your own. That's doing you no good. Start. And get the hell out of this country and start exploring the world. Live the dream. That's what I would say. But I would also say treat everyone with love and compassion. Be wise. Treat everyone with love. Treat everyone. And look at the wonders in the world and amazing waterfalls, rainbows, and love is always the answer. So, and obviously, when, you, when you've got a 19 or 20-year-old dad, it's quite difficult to drum it in. He'd probably say, oh, dear Jack, don't bother. I'm going out on the piss and I'm on the hunt for another bit of skirt. I know what the young thing would have said. And uh, <laughs> with his lads and watching football. But I would have said, there's lots of ways to explore the planet, meditate. I used to meditate even at that age occasionally, and it did bring me into, into the moment. Hmm. But as we all know, trying to meditate and stay focused is very difficult as our naughty monkey minds are grabbing thoughts here and then everywhere. Sometimes yeah. I meditate. And I thought, something I never even remembered for like 20 years or suddenly gone. Something a teacher or a friend said. Yeah. Where's that come from? Yeah. Weird. That's it. So I just say, yeah. Just, uh, I probably say, you know, don't drink beer, stop eating loads of junk food, and uh, don't smoke cigarettes and all this kind of stuff. And, and try and uh, eat healthier. Yeah. It's not easy putting an old head on your shoulders as we all know. No. No, it's not. It's not. Mate, mate, that was a really magical discussion. Thank you very much. I will get this all put together 
uh, edited up over the next couple of days and I'll send you the links across when I've done it and I'll do what I can to tidy the audio up because it's been a bit glitchy at times today. You're a hero. Take care, mate. Look after yourself, buddy. Take care. I'll speak to you soon, yeah? All right, yeah. Cheers, Adrian. Thanks for that. Cheers, buddy. Thanks, mate. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.